Hey there, welcome to the Obio podcast. This is Sofia Sanchez, a now 18 year old who is extremely curious and interested in synthetic biology, cellular agriculture, and biotech as a whole. In this podcast, I have conversations with people around the world who I consider to be biotech leaders. One of them, of course, is Jake Wintermute. You may have seen his tweets, you may have read hashtag woodgang on Twitter. Well, he is a synthetic biologist and researcher at the CRI, which is the Center for Research and Interdisciplinarity in Paris in France. Um, and he studies antibiotics, the human microbiome, a little bit of aging as well. However, his interests range from wood as the perfect biomaterial to making biotech more accessible, also touching on elegance in science and iGEM, as well as the biodesign challenge, and beautiful scientific stuff. <laughs> well, as I'm interested in science communications, of course, I have this podcast, I have my blog. Um, Jake's tweets just really caught my attention in the first place. Then when I, of course, learned more about him, I thought that we could have Uh, just an interesting and varied conversation around different biotech topics as the ones I've mentioned before. Um, so yeah, just as the description says, we'll be touching on elegance in science, what that means, what that looks like. Also, something I just for almost forgot to mention, Jake is also joining Ginkgo as the first ever synthetic biology evangelist. What does that mean? Well, we'll be touching on that during the episode. And then we also, well, give our opinion on what it will take to bring, bring biotech more to the mainstream, what makes a good scientist, what makes a great biotech entrepreneur and a bunch of other things. So I just really want to thank you for listening to this episode and Jake for sharing a little bit of his time and knowledge with us. So if you like this episode, don't forget or hesitate to share it on Twitter or LinkedIn or Instagram, anywhere you want. Uh, you can find me on Twitter actually at SophiaSH underscore. Without further ado, let's get started. It's time to grow. Hey, Jake, it's really a pleasure to have you on this podcast. Thank you very much for coming. I'm excited to learn more about what you do. Hi, Sophia. Yeah, thanks. It's great to be here. <laughs> awesome. So this question, I think I've had it for a while. It's all over Ginkgo's Twitter and your Twitter. What is it about wood? <laughs> Why wood? <laughs> <laughs> Ah, so that's a great question. Uh, okay, I have I have two ways um, of talking about uh, my love of wood. Uh, so I think first, as a, a as a biomaterial, uh, wood is it's the ultimate biomaterial. It's everything that you could ever want uh, a biomaterial to be. It's beautiful. It's versatile. Uh, it's safe. It's familiar. Uh, it's it's everywhere, um, and it just it just agrees with human life. It's something that everybody loves, and something that that everybody is comfortable with. It's all around us all the time, just like biology is. Uh, and so, to me, wood is it's a it's a it's a model for what I would like synthetic biology to be, what I would would like bioproduction uh, to be. It's 
invisible in a sense. It's a, it creates products that are integrated into nature, integrated into our, our everyday lives. Um, and it's sort of funny that you can sort of, you can spend a whole career in synthetic biology, in biomaterials, uh, surrounded by, uh, the ultimate biomaterial, uh, and never really appreciate, uh, why it is so beautiful and why it's so good. Uh, so that's the, that's, that's the first answer. What is, it's just a fantastic biomaterial. It's something that everybody should aspire, uh, to create if you're in biomaterials. Interesting. So uh, the beauty yeah. of biomaterial itself and how that's useful right. it that's is. That's right. It's, 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 it's just it's just the perfect biomaterial who could okay. who could deny it yeah. uh, but you know the other part of the question is that uh it's funny wood is funny it's a funny word it's funny to say trees are funny <laughs> uh it's um it's you know it's it's very mundane uh it's very low tech mm-hmm. uh and so you know going on going on biotech twitter and saying oh yes wood it's the it's the it's uh it's the greatest thing ever it, it's 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 uh it's funny. It's funny to me, and that's that's what that's what really why I'm on uh, I'm on Twitter, and that's that's why I do Wood Gang, uh, yeah, just because it makes me smile. <laughs> that's awesome. I love it. Uh, that definitely gives some a lot of context uh, to to the tweets there. And um, but you talk about like this, I guess, concept of beauty in I guess nature in this case wood, and something that I know you're interested in is elegance in science. But at the same time, I wonder, how do you think elegance can be balanced with feasibility? Because sometimes we can see products that are, you know, beautiful, but in the end, they're not so useful. Um, and this is like more of a philosophical question, I guess. Ooh, that is a philosophical question. I guess I can talk about my my interest in elegance from the perspective of my uh, my scientific career sure um i think elegance is it's a concept that i think a lot of scientists celebrate that a lot of us love um but it's also not extremely well defined um it tends to mean different things to different people um my interest in elegance as a scientist was that I always wanted to uh, design experiments where I could prove beautiful theories, maybe even complicated theories, using relatively simple measurements. Uh, so that's what that's what elegance meant to me. So in a way, it's kind of uh, the opposite of what a lot of um, sort of big data uh, approaches to science look like these days, where you measure as many different things as you can um, to to create the, the the richest possible data set, and then you sift through all of that all of that complexity to uh, derive a theory. Um, and that works, of course, there's, there's nothing wrong with it. Um, but what always appealed to me was what is the, what is the theory that I can come up with? What is the, the, the synthetic design that I can create that, um, produces a, a form or a result that is so simple that it's almost, it's effortless to measure. 
so can I create a biological theory that I can prove using nothing but growth curves, for example? Um, or if you want to tie it into to synthetic biology, it's can I create a material um, or, or a product that is uh, so appealing that when you see it, you, you just know, you just know that it's desirable. Uh, you don't have to go in and, and measure the performance characteristics of a particular material or a particular product uh, to conclude that it's better than the competing materials. Uh, you make something that is, it's so, um, uh, so it's obvious. Uh, so the, the design process is maybe very difficult, it's maybe very complicated, but the result of the design process, uh, if it is successful, is obvious. Hmm. And to me, that's, that's what elegance means in, in science and in synthetic biology. So for science, you mentioned like being able to measure results, let's say, uh, through one way only. Do you think that elegance is also about simplicity? It's definitely about simplicity. Um, it's uh, it's hard to find uh, simplicity in nature. Um, a lot of the experience of a scientist, and particularly a biologist, um, is the opposite of simplicity. It's uh, it's I mean it's it's often it's not even complexity. It's it's chaos. Uh, biological systems can be very frustrating. Uh, to think about and to work with. Uh, and so when you do find uh, something inside of all of that that feels simple, um, it can be very satisfying, very rewarding. And, you know, throughout your career in academia, studying or at least being interested in like the microbiome or new antibiotics and even um, bacterial photobiology. So, um, how do you, what are some examples of elegance that you've seen in, in your research or that you've looked for? Ah, uh, yeah. So I think that's, the, I think that's a, that's a great example. So the, the microbiome is incredibly complex. It's, uh, you know, if you, if you thought that a single bacterium uh, was already uh, a challenge, uh, and it is well. So now imagine millions of bacterium from different species, all all growing and interacting uh, together in an environment that you can barely uh, have access to. So if it's you know if this is the human microbiome, for example, it's very difficult uh, to take measurements of the microbiome system uh, in a human gut, for example. So so think about so all of that. Uh, chaos, how can you, how do you look inside of that and how do you find something um, that is simple? And so uh, I think an interesting experiment that I did in that area that I'm, I'm proud of is, so just to, to reduce the, the complexity of all of these um, interactions to just, uh, just looking at pairwise interactions. Uh, and so what we did for the experiment was we took, uh, we took E. coli, uh, laboratory E. coli, but E. coli are also in the, in the real microbiome. And we deleted, uh, essential genes, uh, one essential gene from each strain of these E. coli. And then we mixed them in pairwise combinations. And because an essential gene was deleted, 
uh, these E. coli, they didn't have the ability to grow by themselves. Uh, but uh, in many cases, they did have the ability to, to cross feed so that two different strains with two different missing essential genes could exchange nutrients um, and grow. And so in a sense, we had a very complex system. We had a large number of deletion mutants and they were being mixed in all the different pairwise combinations. So you imagine a very big matrix. Um, but in another sense, the experiment was very simple because all we needed to know was, can these pair of mutants grow or not? Uh, and so the, the, the measurement part um, was a, it was a, you know, it was a basic, basic uh, optical density uh, uh, reading. And that was, and that, that was all we needed to measure uh, to create this, this very rich uh, pattern of metabolic interactions that is even still just a very small piece of the metabolic interactions that must be happening inside of a microbiome. To understand it a little uh, better or confirm that I understood the main part, you that essential gene that you deleted was supposed to prevent E. coli from replicating, but it still allowed it to form interactions with other bacteria? Yeah, that's right. So okay. you imagine one bacterial strain that is has a deletion in the tryptophan mm -hmm. pathway, so it can't make tryptophan, so it can't grow. Okay. And then another one that has a deletion in uh, the glutamine pathway. So it can't make glutamine, so it can't grow. Um, but if you mix them together, then between the two of them, they can make all of the amino acids uh, if they cooperate, mm. if they if they share, if they if they exchange. So the the question is for each of these different possible pairs, um, do they grow or not? Do they do they exchange these amino acids? All right, that sounds interesting. And now I, th I think that somehow elegance could also be like the main topic of this conversation because the way I, I am going to transition now to like how you communicate science and how you communicate this elegance, even in like more, let's say, simple or just different uh, communication mediums such as Twitter. And so I, I wonder, how do you think around branding synthetic biology oh boy um that's a tough one or that's is it something one. that just you know <laughs> happens you know uh because the way i see that you communicate things it just seems like very um intentional or like there's some sort of symbioculture being built on twitter you know like the wood gang or mm. yeah <laughs> right yeah, wood gang. I mean, I think it's. I think yeah. I think that's that's a very interesting question. Um, I guess I would say that I I try not to uh, think about branding synthetic biology, or maybe another way of putting that is that um, I think that I think that the the best brand for synthetic biology um, is probably just the authentic voices of the people who do it. Um, and so uh, I guess you would say that my my communication strategy is um, I try to be myself. Uh, I try to be very unguarded. Um, and that's why uh, I'm very comfortable 
you know, I, I make a lot of silly jokes uh, on Twitter. I'm not particularly professional. I'm not particularly scientific. Um, I don't, um, uh, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't, I don't worry. I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't worry too much um, about um, sort of trying to package synthetic biology in, in, in just the right way that will make it um, as appealing as possible to the, to the largest number of people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there maybe is a, is a bit of a problem in science communication where a lot of people who do SciComm, they see themselves in this role of, of educating the public or persuading the public or that they're kind of in a they're they're taking on a sort of a political role uh, where they are where they're trying to to sell a, a particular set of ideas um, and it comes from a, from a from a good place uh, they think that scientific thinking is good and it is and they think that it's it's um, it's good for the world and and more people should practice it um, and so it comes from a very good place but I but the the, the problem is that when you communicate with the goal of persuading your audience, they can often sense that. Um, so if you're if you're trying to sell a particular idea, the audience, well, they 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 know they they um, they're smart. They can tell that you're trying to sell a particular idea, um, and so that that turns on their their guards. Um, they put up they 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 put up the armor um, just like. Uh, you know, we all do when we when we encounter advertisements or other or other kinds of persuasive messaging. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in so in my view, uh, the sort of the, the best way that we can get people to trust us um, is is to just be ourselves um, uh, and not actually try that hard uh, to get people to trust us, but rather to just to just represent uh, synthetic magia and science. Um, as it is in the most human way possible. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting because even like myself sometimes, uh, you know, when I have this blog and I write, I don't know, a topic on like, let's say cellular agriculture, you know, and often I had this idea of like, oh, I need to explain, I need to like educate the public in some way of the little things I know. Uh, But at the same time, it's like maybe that's that's not the best strategy. It's more about, as you say, being yourself and not like uh, trying. Because sometimes there's like this gap right between scientists and quote unquote other people. And what you're saying is like, no, there shouldn't be this gap. We should just be ourselves and like um, communicate in the most natural way possible. Yeah, I, I think you've got it exactly right. Okay. Um, and um, it's it's not to say that there's that there's anything wrong with wanting to explain a particular technology, um, or share your love for it, um, or or share with people why why it's interesting um, to you. Um, there's there's nothing wrong with that at all. I think that that comes very naturally to a, a lot of people. Um, and if it when it comes from this this authentic this this heartfelt place of of sharing your passion uh then it's then it's great i think and i think i think it's very persuasive um i think that the 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 problems arise when um when the communication becomes a bit more in 
more political, more strategic. Um, when when it's not coming from this place of sharing your passion, but it's coming instead from uh, a need to persuade a particular audience to behave in a certain way or to believe a certain thing. Um, I think that that kind of communication is, it, it can be counterproductive. Gotcha. And you know, now in your role at Ginkgo, I understand that you are interfacing somehow the foundry with how it can help biotech developers, I guess, people who want to use um, the Ginkgo platform. So in your role, how do you, how does communication help you? Like, uh, how do you communicate basically this idea of a biofoundry? Yeah, that's, oh boy, that's a good question too. I So my, my new role, I just started this year. Um, my new role is called Developer Evangelist. Um, and so this is kind of a funny title. Um, I guess I've just told you uh, why I don't think it's a good idea to try to persuade, but now I have this title of Evangelist, which is <laughs> sort of inherently a very persuasive uh, title. So uh, that's a bit silly. I never, I never thought about that. Um, and yes, and so this is this is a job that um, exists in tech. So it exists in in software. If you have a platform uh, that you want developers to create applications for, like Android uh, or or iOS, uh, then you employ developer evangelists, and the developer evangelists are there to give the support and documentation to the people who create applications for your platform. Um, so it's they're there to, to, to recruit the people who actually build the applications who make the ecosystem work. Um, there's no iPhone uh, without apps. It's uh, there's no there's no platform without without developers. Right. So getting these getting these developers to use your platform it's absolutely essential to the life and the success of these platforms so that exists in tech um it doesn't exist in bio uh as far as i know uh i'm the first biological developer evangelist and we wow. we, we created this role mm -hmm. by analogy um and we're we're learning as we go we're trying to we're trying to figure out uh what exactly this role means there's a few things that are clear. So Ginkgo's mission is to make biology easier to engineer. Uh, Ginkgo is a platform company. It's the foundry. Uh, and we say the organism is the product. So Ginkgo's mission is to create engineered organisms for developers. And a, so a developer could be a, a startup. It could be a, it could be a small company. It's anyone who wants to take uh, an engineered cell line uh, and use it for one of their products that they're making. Jake, you, so, sorry yeah. <laughs> to interrupt you. You got me thinking a little bit about this concept of like the platform, because um, the way I'd seen Ginkgo before was like um, the AWS, let's say, of biology. Do you think it's more of that or more of the iOS or sort of any of those could work as an analogy? Yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, we do. We use we use the AWS analogy. I think it's it's useful too. Um, you know, all all these we love our we love our tech analogies in synthetic biology. 
um, and they're very useful, but but none of them are perfect. Right. Um, and uh, so, and I, I think in particular, so if you imagine, for example, AWS, so AWS, it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a fully digital experience. All you need is is a computer and an internet connection, and you can create an AWS account, and you can start using the platform. Um, in biology, we're not there yet. So there's uh, there's much more human expertise that is required for um, communicating the the needs of a, of a particular developer and then translating those needs into a foundry program that is actually going to execute the the engineering operations on the robotics of the of the foundry platform so it's a it's a much more complicated uh, process mm -hmm. and so um, which means that, you need a lot more support and you need a lot more documentation and resources for these developers in order to in order to to simplify uh that that experience so the 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 world that i want to create is a world where people who are interested in in building with biology not necessarily even just scientists but also product engineers um, and also entrepreneurs and anybody who wants to make something with biology, I want a world where they are familiar with what Ginkgo's Foundry can do, uh, what Foundry bioengineering is capable of, um, how to um, uh, uh, how to interact with the Foundry, how to do a deal uh, with the Foundry, how to uh, get the organism that is designed on the foundry and then scale it up and turn it into an actual product. So that's, that's the, that, that's the world that I'm, I'm trying to build for, for our developers. Gotcha. So if I were, let's say an entrepreneur building, I don't know, an alternative protein, I don't know, something that Ginkgo's foundry could help me with, what would you tell me as the Symbio evangelist? Yeah, so I, I think so. Protein is a great example, actually, because um, of all of the of all of this complexity that that comes with a, a big cell engineering project. Um, a protein based projects are are relatively simple. Um, so you can imagine that uh, if your your if your biotechnology company, if what you need is one protein. Uh, and what you need it uh, is um, at a very high yield because you want to turn this this protein into some kind of a uh, consumer product. Well, then what you need is a protein expression strain. And um, to a large extent, all of the single protein expression strains are more or less the same way. The engineering that goes into them is more or less the same kind of engineering. A lot of them use the same hosts, the same promoters, the same... Uh, chassis and 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 so on and so therefore uh, this is a this is the sort of first case or the the easiest case where we can we really can take uh, a foundry engineering project and package it in a very standardized very reproducible way that is going to be easy and accessible to developers um, and so we call that the CDK uh, the cell cell developer kit. 
Uh, and this is a service that we offer now to, um, to, to developers who want to have uh, one protein made at a, in an industrial um, expression strain. So for me, the, the most interesting questions are um, what are the new kinds of products? What are the new kinds of companies that we can create because foundry services exist that we couldn't create before? So once upon a time, if you wanted to express a get one protein and you wanted to, to have it at a very high level, you had to engineer it yourself and it took a very long time and it was very expensive uh, and it didn't always work. Sometimes when you, when you make these protein expression strains, you find that the protein doesn't express at a very high level and you're not going to be able to do it at an industrial scale. Um, and so that was a particular kind of, of biotech company. So, but now, you can do it on the foundry, which means you can do it faster and you can do it much more reliably and it doesn't fail as often. And the yield that you get in the end uh, is much higher. And so that means you can not only um, is this going to sort of improve uh, your your bioprocess that you already had in mind, but it makes it possible to think about new kinds of, of biotechnology companies. So, for example, what if I don't want just one protein? What if I want a hundred proteins? Uh, or what if I want to, um, what if I want to use this, this CDK at the very beginning of my, of my biotechnology company? So I'm going to, I want to design a uh, hundred different uh, proteins and then I'm going to, I'll just see, we're going to find out which one is the best yield, which is the one that I can have the most of. Um, and then because I know that that technical part of the project works, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna run with that, and I'm gonna use uh, the successful CDK strains as the basis for my protein business. Uh, so that's an that's an example of of a, a strategy that you can do now that the foundry exists that you couldn't do before, and you don't even need to 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 rent a lab space uh, in order to get started on a project like that. Right. So that's just an example, but I, I think I, I think you you you're sort of you're 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 getting the idea that there we have on the one hand these very comp this very this very complex very rich foundry capabilities, and on the other hand we have this ecosystem of developers who want to create uh, products, uh, and so there has to be a sort of conversation that happens uh, between between those between those two sides, and then in that conversation. Um, I think that we're going we're gonna to see new kinds of, of biotechnology companies be born. Talking about new kinds of biotech companies and the, the mission that you, or the vision that you have for a future where biology is easier to engineer, um, how, do you, how do you think that biotech can be, I mean, apart from, from having Ginkgo and the CDKs, uh, how do you think that biology can become more mainstream, let's say, as in the, do you think we can make this comparison as well as in the tech revolution when people started to be able to hack things at their garages, then that's where uh, interesting programs started to arise, I don't know, 
Uh, do you think that biohacking could be like the analog of that in biotech or what else are you thinking of to make biotech ba mainstream? Yeah, I do. So I do think that there's, there's a, an interesting analogy uh, to make there. And I do think that there's a way for um, people to bring biotechnology into the mainstream. And uh, for me, I think the answer is uh, products. Mm -hmm. So what I, what I think is currently limiting the biotechnology ecosystem, um, keeping us from going into the mainstream is that Uh, the people who do synthetic biology have a little bit too much emphasis on the technology side. So the, the engineering side, the mechanics of manipulating DNA uh, and not enough emphasis on, on the products, on actually using the, bi the biology to create the thing that, that people actually want. Um, and so if you think about To, to make this analogy to the, you know, the garage based computer startups, those were enabled by, um, by, uh, uh, by chip, mm -hmm. by, by cheap computer components. So you didn't have people for the most part crafting their own integrated circuits in their garages. Rather, they were using those integrated circuits to build computers that were actually that were actually products that were things that people actually wanted to make. Um, and in my view, this is this is the future of of the bioeconomy, where um, a lot of the the core functions of of cell engineering uh, are going to be done in the fastest and the cheapest way on the foundry in the foundry. And so if you like the, the biohackers, the garage biohackers, uh, well, they're actually, they're, they're product developers. So what they're doing is they're working to transform these engineered cell lines into a biomaterial for fashion that people actually want, or into a medicine uh, that can actually be scaled up and reach patients, or into a food additive Uh, that is delicious and, and works for, for a particular uh, cuisine. Uh, and I think that's, that's what is going to take us uh, into, the, into the mainstream. It's, it's less an image of people assembling their own DNA in their, in their garages, although I, I do think that there's, there's going to be some of that. Um, but the, the, the rate-limiting step is the part where you're you're going from the engineered cell line to to the to the product to the to the thing that people love um and once we start generating these the things that people love things that are actually improving people's lives um it will be much easier uh, to make the case for the public that synthetic biology is is good for the world um and that it's good for, for people and that's that's what's going to take us into the the mainstream All right. So on, on the one hand, we have like cheaper ways to engineer biology. And on the other hand, we have the fact of 
focusing also on the product side and only on the science part like uh, I was I was reading that um, actually Bolt Threads is actually taking one of their well using some of their products in other products uh, for, for a brand and they're actually in store now so is that sort of what you're thinking for product that's a great example yeah, that, okay. that's that's a, that's a great example where there's a, a, a huge amount of work is happening on on the product side. Um, and so it it's it's in this case, in the, in the case of a biomaterial, um, it's uh, I mean, it's 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 just a huge amount of work. Right. So not only did do they do they need a cell line that produces this silk protein at a very high yield. And that's a, that is a, that's a challenging uh bioengineering problem and i think it's a, it's it's a it's a lot of uh biomaterials companies are going to have a s similar problem um but that's only the beginning right so there, there's also a huge amount of of science and research and development that goes into taking that protein and turning it into a fiber uh that is that is functional uh, so there's a, there's a material science component that that needs to be mastered, uh, and then there's a product design component. You've got to take that you've got to take that fiber. And you have to turn it into something that people will actually buy. Uh, and if you don't and if you don't do that, uh, then then you don't have any impact. Uh, and so uh, it's it's I think it's really important, especially for 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 people who are new to the synthetic biology space, to really keep those the the these downstream uh needs in mind um and i think that it, a really it, a really powerful uh thing to be as a synthetic biology student these days is you want to have a working knowledge of of the material science or the food science and you want to have a working knowledge of of the market and your and the entrepreneurship um at least if you don't, if you can't master all of those yourself, at least to be able to communicate um, to people who are going to be able to bring that uh, to your product, because you, we really want to be thinking about this, this, this entire process uh, from the beginning, if we're going to have uh, new, new bio products that translate successfully to the real world. You know, I really love this idea of just products that people can touch with their own hands you know like actually touching synthetic biology in some way uh and I, I mean i from what i'm thinking this can mainly be done with um the food industry and the let's say materials industry because in the case of pharma for example like that seems a little bit slower as well as not that like there's not such a direct contact right between people and a drug for example maybe with probiotics but um where i'm going with this is like what sorts of ideas uh do you envision of i don't know products that people could get excited about things that would get sort of people hyped about synthetic biology maybe fluorescent biomaterials or things like that oh yeah i mean that so that's that's a great question um, I guess I would, so I have, there's there, I think there's a lot of things out there that are, that are exciting. Um, the, the funnest part of this, this job for me as a developer evangelist is knowing that I'm going to be surprised is knowing that, that, you know, it's, it's going to be the developer community, um, that comes up with the really amazing ideas. Um, and that I, you know, I don't have to have all of them, 
myself uh, if I can create this ecosystem where people are enabled uh, to bring their own uh, exciting product ideas. Um, I think so. I, I, I definitely hear what you're saying about certain types of products being more more visible or more more um, uh, more consumer facing. Um, you know, in the it's true that you know in the pharma world, if your product is it's just a pill. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. a pill is just a pill, right? And it, and <laughs> and if your pill happens to be made with synthetic biology. Uh, you know, the, the, the patient is not, is, is never going to know that. Yeah. Uh, uh, although I do think that there's, um, I do think that there, there's interesting possibilities in, um, therapies that are not just pills. Um, I'm, I, uh, I think, um, you know, microbiome therapies, live cell, uh, therapies, metabolically active, um, uh, uh, you know, probiotics and and um, and and microbiome engineering, um, I think, is a, is a, is a is a very interesting area in the pharmaceutical space. Um, and then, in I mean, in terms of um, the more consumer-facing applications, I think I think you're right. I think it's it gets materials, um, and I think it's foods. Um, these are these are these are the most exciting uh, spaces, uh, and of course, my dream is you know if if we can come up with a, a biomaterial uh, that is beautiful and as appealing and as mainstream as wood, uh, <laughs> then we'll know that we've arrived uh, as a as a discipline. The holy grail of synthetic biology. Do you think that's wood? <laughs> the whole the holy grail the holy grail yeah. and you know in in the in the indiana jones movie at least the holy grail was the the cup made of wood <laughs> right page. maybe we can get there one day jake what do you think <laughs> makes a good scientist oh boy um boy that's a really good question i what do i think makes a good scientist um i think so there's i there there's two pieces of advice that I that I historically give um, to students who are looking to be good good scientists. Um, the, the the so the, the first is that you want a good scientist is someone who can finds a place where they are doing good science uh, and and learns from it. Uh, I think that the, the the best way to to master a very a very complex uh, art like like science is by finding a mentor. Um, and so the the most effective way to to do good science is to is to to, to find a lab or to, or to find a space where you think people are doing good science, um, and then just spend time with them and and watch them. Um, the other piece of advice that I would give is that a, a good scientist is a happy scientist. Uh, and so when you are looking for those mentors, when you're looking for those those labs that are turning out the really high impact publications or making the really amazing products, um, uh, make sure that you don't uh, you don't over index uh on just the just the productivity uh or just the professional successes of the lab 
make sure that you find a place where um, you communicate well with your colleagues, where you, you feel uh, listened to and understood, um, and also where you're, where you're happy. Uh, because uh, science is, you know, it's very, very long uh, and hard. Uh, you're going to spend many hours in the lab, um, and the the people uh, who you are there with can make make all the difference in the world. Um, and so, I think if you if you prioritize um, being a happy scientist, uh, it's going to make it much easier to become a good scientist. That makes all the sense. And also, I think that for for the first piece of advice where you said, look somewhere where good science is done, what do you think makes good science or science good in the first place? <laughs> Ooh, what do I think makes good science? Yeah. Um, I, you know, I think that... I mean, so maybe there, I think there's, there's maybe two ways of, of, of thinking about that again. I think that, so there's a, there's a, there's this sort of professional metric mm -hmm. uh, of good science. So that's, that's citation, high impact publications and getting a lot of citations and, and winning grants, um, making patents, um, all those, all those quantifiable metrics. Those, those are good. Those, those, those are important. Um, I think that it's, I think that it's fine, especially for um, someone who's just just starting out in science, um, to 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 use those as their as their yardstick for um, deciding what what uh, good science is, because um, uh, they they do have value, and there's some there's something that anybody can see. So you don't have you don't have to have you know the great wisdom of a of a long and experienced career in science to look at a lab and, and count the number of, of high impact publications that they've had and say, and say, okay, yes, this is a successful lab. That's something anybody can do. So it's useful. Um, but, 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 uh, it is important to, um, come to your own judgment of what you think, uh, good science is, uh, to have your, to have your own, uh, your own intuition, Uh, your own aesthetic uh, for what uh, what kind of science you want to do, um, and uh, and and what makes a good a good scientist uh, according to your your personal definition. I think that that's something that everybody should should cultivate. Um, and as you as you mature, as your as your career goes on, um, you'll start to gravitate more uh, to to that to your to your personal definition, and you'll worry less um about the uh the, the the metrics definition that makes sense as well what do you think makes a great biotech developer or entrepreneur ah so yes so uh, so i i think that a, a great developer needs to have um a mind for the science and a mind for the product uh and also a mind for entrepreneurship So it's an it's an extremely interdisciplinary uh, sort of thinking that makes a good developer. Um, and if you can't have all of those things uh, in one person, and usually you can't because each of them are incredibly difficult on their own, um, then what what makes a good developer is someone who can put together a good team. 
so you need to not only master as much uh, as you can of this 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 complete uh, uh, package of all the way from early stage R and D to to market. Uh, you have to be able to identify the gaps in your own understanding, and you have to be able to to create those partnerships uh, with people who have the expertise uh, that you lack. Uh, and so I think in the end, the, the, the best developers are, are going to be the people who can build the best teams. I'll keep that in mind for the future. If you could tweet something that the whole world read, what would that be? <laughs> um, hashtag Woodgang. Awesome. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming to to the podcast, Jake. It was really awesome uh, chatting with you about wood, about good science, synthetic biology, ginkgo, many more things. So, thanks. Thanks a lot. It's my it's my pleasure. And thank you for listening to another episode of the Obio podcast. I really, really appreciate it. Hope you've learned something new, come up with different points of view on what it means to be a symbioevangelist or to engineer biology or to be a biotech developer entrepreneur. Anyways, I'll be releasing a new episode very soon, hopefully next week, actually. So yeah, 2022 is coming up with different episodes for the All Bio podcast with, indeed, biotech leaders around the world. I'll see you in the next one.